Everyone knows therapy is great for solving problems, but getting therapy has its own problems too, like finding the right therapist, fitting into their schedule, and of course, the cost. Well, BetterHelp can solve those problems. It's totally online and built around your schedule. It's surprisingly affordable too. Connect with a credentialed therapist by phone, video, or online chat, all from the comfort of your home. Visit betterhelp.com to learn more and save 10% on your first month. That's BetterHelp, H-E-L-P. Do you know a student getting ready to go to college? Or are you looking at going back to school yourself? The Woodward Hines Education Foundation and the Get to College program help more Mississippians get to and through college to get certificates and degrees that lead to meaningful employment. They offer free college planning advice, including hands-on FAFSA completion assistance through in-person or virtual appointments. Visit gettocollege.org to learn more. This is MPB News. Hi, this is Karen Brown. Thanks for checking out the Mississippi Edition podcast. If you like what you hear, click subscribe, hit like, or leave us a comment if your app has that feature. Then find other MPB podcasts by searching MPB Think Radio on your favorite podcasting platform. Thanks. Good morning. It's 8.30 on Friday, September 11th. I'm Karen Brown, and this is Mississippi Edition on MPB Think Radio. On today's show, the governor highlights economic recovery efforts through a pandemic response job skills program. Then, what a candidate for the U.S. Senate says about President Trump's recorded conversations on the severity of the coronavirus. Plus, the state auditor's office provides transparency through a CARES Act funds tracking website. This is Mississippi edition on MPB Think Radio. A federally funded program is working to improve Mississippi's workforce after high job loss during the coronavirus pandemic. The Reskill Mississippi Initiative is working to educate residents through technical education and on-the-job training. More than 10% of Mississippians were unemployed at the peak of the coronavirus pandemic. Governor Tate Reeves says in the past month, Reskill MS helped place more than 1,700 people in training at community colleges to prepare them for skilled jobs with higher pay. Reskill Mississippi has two components. One that allows individuals to get short-term training at one of Mississippi's community colleges for skills that are in high demand, and another that incentivizes companies to train individuals on the job by reimbursing wages during the training period. As of Friday, September the 4th, over 1,700 individuals were enrolled and getting short-term training at 12 different community colleges, and another 340 individuals have been hired and are getting trained on the job by Mississippi employers. Now, I want to be clear. We are not here today to spike the football. While this program has impacted 1,200, over 2,000 of our fellow Mississippians to date, The work of Reskill Mississippi is far from over. In fact, we hope that this is simply the beginning. 
Businesses looking to hire new employees and train them can apply for reimbursement for up to 75% of that job's wages. Patrick Sullivan, director of the State Workforce Investment Board, says Mississippi is faring better than other parts of the country in its economic recovery. Mississippi has has fared a good bit better uh, than what the nation has fared uh, overall in terms of job loss. And so uh, Mississippi at its peak uh, back during the quarantine was down uh, 10.5%, where the U.S. overall was down 14.5%. Since then, uh, almost two-thirds of those jobs have returned uh, back here in Mississippi. Uh, while the nation is still lagging, only about half of the jobs lost overall in the country have returned uh, since the bottom. Uh, and so, you know, overall, uh, you know, some good things are happening in Mississippi, and, and we're outperforming the national average. Uh, you know, but saying that, to the governor's point, and for the purpose of reskill is to help connect more people with opportunities. And we know that not all of our jobs uh, have returned, uh, and that they, but we also know that there are opportunities out there, even today, that are unfilled. Uh, and that's what we're trying to do. We're trying to encourage people to consider what those opportunities are and connect uh, through reskill. Officials say enrollment is still open, but the program's funding could run out by the end of the year. The focus on economic recovery comes six months after the first case of coronavirus was reported in Mississippi on March 11th. The state was placed under a stay-at-home order in April, causing vast unemployment and losses for many small businesses. The current balance coincides with the beginning of school and the return for many to college campuses, presenting new challenges to combat community transmission of the virus. Quarantine procedures are being implemented in school districts across the state to prevent further spread in schools. State Health Officer Dr. Thomas Dobbs says these procedures, while disruptive for some, allow schools to stay open. I know it's disruptive to individual students to have to be out of school for a while, but that's that next layer around the contagious case. That keeps us not only um, from um, having additional cases spreading beyond that shell, it keeps the schools open. It's an unfortunate but effective mechanism to make sure that we don't have ongoing transmission within the schools. And the less cases we have, the fewer quarantines we're going to have. And keep in mind, if we can keep students six feet apart throughout the day wearing a mask, they will never have to quarantine. Dobbs says there are currently 458 teachers and 4,057 students under quarantine orders in the state. Mississippi is home to the third worst local outbreak. That's according to a data analysis by the New York Times. Oxford, where the University of Mississippi is located, is ranked only behind two Texas cities in new cases of COVID-19 per capita over the last two weeks. Dr. Dobbs says a spike was expected and encourages students and residents to be responsible as football season approaches. Well, certainly um, we're not exceptionally surprised, right? I mean, we knew that was going to be a real challenge. Um, you know, I, I would like to reiterate that I think that the uh, measures taken on the campus are really exceptional um, and, and feel very comfortable when we visited um, the universities in Mississippi. It's the off-campus stuff. It's the parties. You know, it, it's going to, it's really just going to um, be one of our biggest challenges. You know, I think, you know, CDC and, and folks recommend that when people get sick that they stay there and don't go back home. I think and sort of isolate like maybe in like isolation dorm, 
but what we see is also is that folks are going, I mean, if it were my kid, I'd want to take care of them. I understand that. It's a real concern that it's, it's going to seed into the community. I really hope now that people are settled in, we've gotten past some of the bid day and some of that other stuff that we've seen. If we can sort of get over the hump a little bit, I worry about going into football time. Not so much about the football stadiums themselves, but we need to think about when we have our own social gatherings. I would strongly encourage everyone, if you're going to have folks over, make sure it's not very many and do it outside. The weather's great right now, so you know let's just keep our guard up and, and realize that we're going to have vulnerabilities. You know we've been working closely with universities and also too with the mayors, and they are really doing everything they can. But it's it's just hard to overwhelm uh, youthful spirit. Um, but I just I really just plead with everybody just to show some patience and some restraint so that we don't undermine our good progress. The city of Oxford has 569 new cases of COVID-19 over the last two weeks. Coming up, what a candidate for the U.S. Senate says about President Trump's recorded conversations on the severity of the coronavirus. This is Mississippi Edition on MPB Think Radio. Hey, this is Larry Morrissey with the Mississippi Arts Commission. I'm one of the hosts of the Mississippi Arts Hour, the arts interview show on Think Radio. We talk with visual artists, musicians, writers, as well as people who help bring the arts to their communities. We hear about how each artist learned their craft and get some insight into their creative process. You can hear the Arts Hour every Sunday at 5 p.m. on Think Radio, or listen anytime by subscribing to the show through your favorite podcasting app. This is Mississippi Edition on MPB Think Radio. I'm Karen Brown. This week, tapes revealing what President Donald Trump knew in February about the severity of the novel coronavirus are raising questions regarding his leadership and handling of the pandemic. In a series of 18 interviews with renowned Washington Post reporter Bob Woodward, Trump is recorded saying the virus is more deadly than even your most strenuous flus. In a March 19th interview, Trump is on record admitting wanting to play it down. Those comments came after Trump had held a number of political rallies where he suggested the virus was a hoax. Yesterday, during a press briefing, Governor Tate Reeves defended the president's decision as a means to avoid panic. I do think it is a worthy goal uh, to, to, to try to ensure that we do not create a panic situation. If you'll recall back in, in March, uh, the notion of people going out to the grocery store and buying up all the toilet paper, for instance, um, people going out and doing things um, because they were concerned, justifiably so, the concern was there, but we did not need to create a panic um, in our state or in our country. And so what we've tried to do is um, is be honest with the, the people of Mississippi. I think the president's tried to be honest with the American people while at the same time trying to avoid Uh, creating that panic, which then leads to people doing uh, irrational things. Uh, I think that's what the president and his team have tried to do to prevent panic, to keep keep the the American people uh, informed, uh, but also uh, to, to make sure that the panic doesn't occur even worse things to happen than the actual virus itself. During the same press briefing, Reeves, who says he sees no value in inciting panic, responded to questions regarding U.S. Senate candidate Mike Espy by claiming liberal Democrats want to shut down the economy. Candidate Espy is a liberal Democrat that is always going to criticize anyone who is trying to grow 
our state's economy. If Mike Espy is elected to the U.S. Senate, he is going to do exactly what Joe Biden and his liberal um, liberal advisors tell him to do. Joe Biden has said that he would shut down the economy, and I believe that if Biden is elected president and Mike Espy is elected to the U.S. Senate, they're going to try to shut down the U.S. economy for months and months on end. Espy, a Democrat and former Secretary of Agriculture, considers himself a moderate Democrat and takes issue with what the governor claimed. I believe even the governor said something about me being uh, for uh, closing down the state again because of the coronavirus situation. I've never said that. I'm not for that. In fact, I'm on the record saying that we can't do that because a horse is already out of the barn. You can't close down the state again because the horse is already out of the barn. You can't put the horse back in the corral. So here's two statements from Republicans who have already made false statements about my record. So just just look at my record or call me and I'll answer your questions. And if you want to debate, I will be there. SB is challenging incumbent Republican Cindy Hyde-Smith in a rematch of the 2018 special election. He tells our Desiree Frazier the revelations about what President Trump knew in February and his initial downplaying of the pandemic is also an indictment on his opponent. We know through recent events what President Trump did and didn't do. So we know we now know that based on uh, the uh, the tapes that have been released yesterday regarding conversations between him and the book author. So now we know that President Trump knew about the uh, novel coronavirus as early as January. He knew how serious it was. He knew that it was airborne. He knew that it was deadly. And then, nonetheless, he said it was a democratic hoax said that it would miraculously disappear and so on and so on. Well, that's what he said. But Senator Smith, who is a single fan of the president's, also said in a very unserious way that the virus would be, be over in two weeks. All right. Now, that was against all the ruminations and the comments of medical scientists both in Washington and in Mississippi. They all said we should take this thing seriously. But someone who's in the Senate and says it's going to be over in two weeks, well, that's just unserious. That was back in in February. All right. So then when you look substantively what she's done, it really hasn't been much. So uh, we criticized her for, for not being serious, but not listening to the to medical scientists both in Washington and in Mississippi, Dr. Dobbs. And now the votes that she did not make when there were measures in the Senate to increase the unemployment benefits for Mississippians. So here we sit today, there have been 88,322 people in Mississippi who've been made sick by the coronavirus, 2,656 deaths. So... Look, Les Ray, I'm a Mississippian. I'm born and raised in this state, and I only left to go to law school and college. I'm very concerned about unserious leadership 
when it comes to the most deadly virus we've ever had in America ever. So I'm someone who would follow the medical doctors. I'm someone who would follow the science. I would not have taken a month-long vacation in the U.S. Senate. I would have asked Mitch McConnell or Chuck Schumer, whoever was in the leadership, to allow us to stay and vote on unemployment benefits. That's just what I would have done. So the message to Mississippi voters is, in a nutshell, what do you want to get across to them? Senator Smith is not standing up for Mississippi. She did not take this virus seriously from the very beginning. She is not taking it seriously now because she is on vacation in Mississippi. That's what I want to tell. Mike Espy is a former U.S. Secretary of Agriculture and the Democratic candidate for U.S. Senate. Coming up, the state auditor's office provides transparency through a CARES Act funds tracking website. This is Mississippi Edition on MPB Think Radio. If you're a parent on the go, but still want to stay informed about your children's education, subscribe to Mississippi Education Connections podcast and listen on the go anytime, anywhere on your favorite podcast app. This is MPB Think Radio. Mississippi is our mission. This is Mississippi Edition. I'm Karen Brown. Mississippians now have access to detailed data on how the state is spending $1.25 billion in federal coronavirus relief. An online expense tracker has been released by the state auditor's office to offer additional transparency as the state spends its share of the $2 trillion in federal CARES Act dollars. State legislators have allocated most of that money to several state agencies, but only around $167 million has been spent. State Auditor Shad White tells our Kobe Vance this is the taxpayer's money and this tool will allow them to see how it's being used. The federal government has has spent a lot of stimulus money related to the COVID-19 pandemic and Mississippi got $1.25 billion worth of that stimulus money plus a few other smaller pots of money but but $1.25 billion was the main chunk of money that came into Mississippi uh, as stimulus funds. When that money came into the state the state auditor's office knew that we had the responsibility of auditing it. We have the responsibility of trying to identify any fraud, any theft of that money that may happen. But in addition to that, those are sort of our legal and most basic responsibilities. In addition to that, I wanted the public to know how this money was being spent because it's their money. It's taxpayer money. And so I started to notice that a couple of other state auditors around the country came up with this idea of of putting a portion of their website up that would just describe in very simple terms how the money is spent. And anybody can go on right now and look and and see how the $1.25 billion in stimulus money uh, has been allocated, and they can see how some of it has been spent already. So the easiest way to get there is to go to www.osa.com. Dot .ms.gov that's the auditor's website and then in the upper right hand corner you'll see a button that just says COVID-19 you can click on that and and you can check out the numbers there and I was looking over the website and you know there's several agencies that have been allocated and some are spending the money they've made some expenditures and you can see that uh, y'all are tracking that live 
Um, but there are other agencies that haven't spent what looks like a dime. Um, can you tell me a little bit about those? Are, are they just sitting on the money right now, or is that um, still being uh, – are still waiting to go towards expenditures? Yeah, you said it exactly right. Some agencies have been pushing money out already. Others are in the process of designing uh, the administrative functions that would allow them to push the money out. So there are a lot of different rules that come along with this money. And, of course, when the legislature appropriated it and created different programs, they, they added some other additional rules that, that the state agencies have to follow. And sometimes you could see you know, an agency may have a pretty simple task uh, of pushing money out. Others have more complicated rules to follow. So what we've seen is that in some cases – Agencies will uh, move quickly, and they'll get their rules and their controls in place, and they'll start moving the money. Other times, agencies are being more methodical and a bit slower. Uh, frankly, you know, it doesn't really matter to me one way or the other how quickly the money goes out uh, because of this. All the money has to be spent by December 30th. So whether we spend it in September or October or November, the money is still going to go out the door, and if it doesn't, uh, it's going to get scooped up back by the federal government on December 30th. So really the, the most important deadline is, is, is December 30th. To me, it's not whether the money has been spent right now. Uh, but, but as you said, we're committed to continually updating this website. We just did an update on September 2nd. We're going to do another update on the 15th of every month and at the end of every month, too. So we'll we'll have updated information all the way down to the names of the vendors, the private companies who get some of this money, and folks can go on and, and check that out. And um, so when it comes to all of these different um, um, allocations, every single – I'm looking at these, and every single one of them has a different um, House bill or a Senate bill that right. has that's tied to rules and how this money can be spent. As a state auditor, how does that um, – is, is that making this money differently – does that make this money uh, stand out differently from how typical – uh, budgets are are set and need to be audited. It makes things complicated. There are a few things that that make this pot of money complicated, and it's no one person's fault, but it just is. So w- one piece of this is that this money comes from the federal government. It is subject to federal law. It's subject to regulations that have been produced by the United States Treasury. So you've got to follow all those laws and all those all those regs when you're when you're handing out this money. On top of that, you've got uh, the state legislature and the the pieces of law that they put into place. Uh, These these monies have to flow out in accordance with that law, too. And on top of that, as I mentioned, the money has to all go out the door by December 30th. So not only do you have a lot of money flowing, you have a lot of rules to follow, but you've also got a deadline there, too. So it makes things pretty complicated both for the people administering this money, so the folks who are pushing the money out the door, and for us on the audit end, the auditors. But the good thing is, in Mississippi in particular, we, we have experience with money like this. So unfortunately, Hurricane Katrina happened, and, and a large influx of money came into the state, and both administrators of money and the auditor's office had to quickly figure out how to spend that money and to audit it. And then, of course, in 2009, we had a big federal stimulus package that, that went out all around the country in the wake of the 2008 financial crisis. And so Mississippi had to both spend some of that money and audit that money as well. And looking back at those experiences, while something like Katrina is devastating and terrible and unfortunate, the, the added benefit, I guess, out of that 
is that we get a little bit of experience handling large pots of money. Uh, Mississippi State Auditor's Office, before I was auditor, actually won a national award for how we audited those pools of money. And so we're we're drawing on all those experiences, kind of breaking out the old playbooks for how to audit big pots of stimulus money and following that playbook again in this case. We're approaching the deadline. You know, we're closer to December now. Um, What happens at the end of the year if departments don't end up spending the money that they were allocated? Is that just taken back by the federal government? Yes. Short answer is yes. If the costs have to be incurred by December 30th on all this money. So if, if the money has not been spent by December 30th, that money gets scooped back up by the federal government. There are several different provisions in state law that say, okay, well, we're going to give some money to the Department of Education, but if it doesn't get spent in time, we may take that money back and, and put it in a place in state government where it can be spent more quickly. So, for example, we might put some of that money in the unemployment compensation fund. That money gets spent relatively quickly, and, and if if given enough time, it can be spent before December 30th. So the legislature did a good job in putting together some, some safeguards to make sure that the money is spent by December 30th, but you're exactly right, Kobe. If, if it doesn't get spent by December 30th, the feds are going to come back and take it, and then it's gone. Shad White is the state auditor of Mississippi. The auditor's office will update the online spending tracker about every two weeks. This has been Mississippi Edition on MPB Think Radio. Thanks for listening to the Mississippi Edition podcast from MPB News and MPB Think Radio. Don't forget to subscribe if you haven't already. And if your app lets you, leave a comment or review. We really do appreciate it. Remember, you can always get in touch with MPB News on Facebook and Twitter, and fresh episodes of the podcast are posted every weekday morning. I'm Karen Brown. Thanks for listening. This is Mississippi Edition from MPB Think Radio.